and that kind of a result, to be crippled, was to be shamed. So his whole life, he would not have a fair deal. Not only would he not be king, he wouldn't even be looked at as a normal person. He would be living his whole life in shame because of his handicap. So here's something that really occurs to me out of this story. I feel like in my life, some people have hurt me. In your life, some people have hurt you. Picture what happened to him, the nurse, the person who is supposed to care for him, the person who's supposed to keep something like this from happening, is the one who drops him. Now in your life, has there been someone that was supposed to care for you, who had this role in your life of nurture, of care, of protection, and then that ended up going wrong, and somehow you were crippled through the process. The Lord wants to heal that. He doesn't want you to go through life maimed. He doesn't want you to go through life crippled. He doesn't want you to hang on to that. Some of you maybe feel like you've been crippled by the church. You feel like, yeah, those religious leaders, they've done this to me. My dad did this to me, you might say. Maybe you've been dropped in a relationship and you didn't come up whole. Before we move on anywhere, allow the Lord to speak to your heart about that. Say, Lord, would you heal? Would you repair? Would you regrow what has been crippled in me? By the power of your spirit, Lord, work in lives right now to heal what's been emotionally crippled, what's been mentally stunted and maimed. By the power of your spirit, would you make it whole in Jesus' name? Amen. Hmm. Now, I want us to think about, just for a minute, the name Mephibosheth. Now, some commentators have pointed out that his name means shame, and they would say son of shame. But it's interesting that more and more and more, as people have studied this word, these words, it really means the destroyer or the dispeller of shame. So even in his name, God had given this hint that his life's going to turn out differently. And he lived up to this name that, that his shame was dispelled, his, his shame like the fog was lifted, went away. And this is a picture of what Jesus does in our lives, that we have sin and we have shame and we have brokenness, and then he comes into our lives and wipes it out and restores us and changes everything. He came to take away your shame. Romans is straight up on that. I mean, read the whole book. But two examples, Romans 8.1 says, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And Romans 10.11 says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. You know who wants you to feel ashamed and stuck in shame is your enemy. Satan wants you to feel like, oh man, you know what I've done. You know who I am? You know what that thing that happened to me? A lot of times the things that hold us back, we didn't even do them. Someone did something in your life, someone treated you a certain way, and you began to believe something about yourself that's shameful, full of shame. This was not Mephibosheth's fault. He was dropped. 
And then he has to grow up going like, woe is me. The whole culture looks at him like he's just crazy. He's wrong. He's, he's judged by God. And then look in his name and what, what the Lord does with the rest of the story. He pulls him right out of that shame and says, in fact, your name means I'm going to get rid of that shame. That's what the Lord wants to do in each of us. He doesn't want us to live in a place of shame. He wants us to live in a place of restoration and love and grace. Right? Right? Right on. You guys are still there, right? Yes. <laughs> Notice that the king knew him by name. I love that. It's like Mephibosheth. He's excited to see him. The king couldn't wait to restore him. Because of his love for Jonathan, he was excited to restore him, to be gracious to him. And he says, don't be afraid. I bet he could just see, like, Mephibosheth is shaking, and he knows. He thinks he's going to get the axe, and he's like, no, don't. Don't be afraid. You know what's cool? The phrase, do not be afraid, 365 times it occurs in the Bible. I wonder why that is. <laughs> One for every day. Yeah. Right? Because we get afraid. God wants to tell each of you today, don't be afraid. Now, it's the same kind of thing where we, we come in crippled into God's presence and we're kind of like, who am I? I'm just a stray dog, right? You know, why would you love a loser like me? And then God says, by name, Shane, Dina, I love you. Don't, don't be afraid. Come on, you're my children. Enjoy being in my presence. Hmm. The king restored him. The king made three promises. Notice what they are. The first one is kindness, right? He says, I'm going to show my kindness to you. And this is the word chesed. Can you say that without spitting on the person in front of you? Chesed, right? Which really means loving kindness. It means mercy. It means covenant love. It means grace. It's a huge Hebrew word in meaning. It's just this beautiful picture of covenant relationship, like in a marriage or in a great friendship where you've promised things to each other. I think about God's kindness in my own life. I think about things that he's protected me from. I also think about things that he has not protected me from because I needed to go through them. Sometimes we misunderstand kindness we misread it. We miss it. And we think, that wasn't kind. Why did he... Right? Have you ever talked to somebody who is a cancer survivor and you say, you know, do you wish that never happened? And they go, no, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. And you're like, what? Can you say that again? Sometimes people have gone through tragedy in their life. Most of us have faced some level of tragedy in our life. And you know what's interesting about those times... It recalibrates us to the eternal. It shows us what's really important. I remember we were talking with you, Eric, the other night about your hand, and he had a pretty horrific accident that, of course, he took a picture of right away on his iPhone. Thank you for that. I'll never get that out of my mind. But he was talking about, you know, he doesn't wish that that never happened. If he could rewind the clock, he would do it all again because God has used it in some dramatic ways in his life. God promises kindness to us. Sometimes we don't see it as that. 
but the king has promised kindness all the days of our lives. I think about Psalm 23, penned by King David. Surely goodness and your loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. Literally, follow me is a hunting term that means pursue. It's like God's love and his kindness, his chesed, follows you, like protecting you, like looking right behind you. So you can't run away from it. He's right behind you the whole time. Ask God, sitting right there, ask him right now, for a revelation of his kindness. Lord God, show me what your kindness looks like in my life. Show me how you've been kind to me this last year. I felt like I experienced the Lord's kindness this morning in some ways that were pretty beautiful. It was a difficult morning, and I felt like the Lord directed my steps and my thoughts and my words the right way, And he grew my relationship with one of my kids. And it was difficult and wonderful. And I saw his kindness this weekend in dramatic ways. The second thing that the king promises is land. He promises an inheritance, right? Now, some churches like to focus on just this, right? The the big blessing, right? God's going to provide, you know, no, 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 no. Now, think think about what happened in this story. This is fascinating, This Mephibosheth comes into David's presence, and David wanted to bless him, right? So he could have said, here, have a palace next to mine, right? Which would have been graceful, beautiful, fantastic. It would have made a great story. But look how he goes above and beyond, exceedingly, immeasurably, abundantly beyond what this kid, Mephibosheth, could have asked or imagined. Does that sound like the New Testament at all, right? Beyond. He says, everything that Saul, the king, the first king of Israel, owned is yours. In other words, David was giving up his own stuff. He was giving up a lot of his own land to this crippled young man. He was giving up tons, I mean, hundreds, thousands probably of acres and houses and farms, and he needed help. He needed this guy, uh, Ziba, and all of his servants and kids even to take care of some of that land. It was dramatic, phenomenal, over-the-top, generous, loving act that just shocks me. This is God's heart for us. He wants so much good in your life. He wants to restore you to this place that you don't even dream of. And I'm not talking about he's going to give you the Lamborghini. I don't know. But what I do mean is he's going to make you who you don't even believe you could be. He wants your heart to be so whole, so full of him. He wants the, his, your body to be a temple of the Holy Spirit and your mind to be so yielded to him that you're like, who am I? Who am I becoming? What in the world? This guy thought he was going to get killed and he ends up owning half the kingdom? What the heck is going on? Now, Let's look at the third one, dining at the king's table. As if it wasn't enough to say, hey, I'm going to be kind to you all your life, and here's some land, you know, enjoy your life, buddy. He's like, no, I want you to be in my life. Welcome. Come on in. This guy had royal blood, a prince, but he'd become an orphan. Isn't that interesting? An orphan with the bloodline of a king. And then he gets welcomed right into 
the king's table to be a prince again. Everybody, Mephibosheth's story is your story. You have been created in the image of a holy God to love him and serve him. And then life and sin has crippled you. You've been knocked down and kicked around and hurt and maimed. And the blood that flows in our veins apart from Jesus is corruption and sin and enemies with God. The competing team, right? The heir to the wrong throne. But notice what happens. Even though crippled, the king calls us back. He calls each of us to come into his presence and he says, welcome. Don't be afraid. I've got your back. You have nothing to fear in my presence. So here's the question for all of us today. Will we fall at his feet? And will we say, who am I that you would even accept me here? Notice in the story, David the king is showing this grace because of Jonathan. Because of his deep love for Jonathan, he pours it out on Jonathan's son. This is our story too, God. We come into his presence. What a contrast, our brokenness and his holiness and his majesty. And yet he says, because of Jesus, come on in. Because of Jesus, he's looking for ways to be kind to us. Because of Jesus... He restores us, he's kind to us, and he welcomes us to his table. Not because of anything we've done, but because of him. God welcomes us back into his family. He he rescues us and he restores us because Jesus took away our sin and our brokenness on his cross. I was thinking about this this last week. Jesus is the lover of the lame. And the restorer, the destroyer of shame. The name Mephibosheth reminds me of Jesus. He dispels our shame. In a minute, we're going to come to the Lord's table and take communion together. But before we do that, I remember a time in college coming into a place that had blue chairs. And I remember sitting in the back, listening to this concert happening. I went to Wheaton, and um, the band was up there singing and doing this thing, and a guy got up and talked about repentance, and he talked about shame, and he talked about the grace that God shows to us. And I was hungover, and I smelled bad. And I was like, why am I even in this place with all these good people? What in the world am I doing here? And I sat there in the back, kind of where you are, Mike, and I just cried my eyes out. And then when they gave this appeal to come forward and take communion, I went forward. And I walked right down there with all of those normal holy people. And I just said, Jesus, thank you for accepting me a a screw-up that just has been doing everything wrong. 
Thank you for welcoming me to your table. Thank you, Jesus, that you're not judgmental, that you don't look at me with scorn, that you don't scrunch me under your foot, but you say, don't be afraid. You're my son. I forgive you. Come into my presence. So today, if you come to this table in the name of Jesus, thankful for his sacrifice, you can come. Don't come for any other reason. But if you can say, Jesus, because of your sacrifice, I'm welcomed into God's presence, come on down. And he welcomes you to his table. His sacrifice carries us to his table. Now we're going um, we're gonna to listen to a song and just reflect. And I want to just ask you to just sit and make your heart right before God. Just confess whatever needs to be confessed. Accept whatever needs to be accepted. And just do some business with the Lord as we, as we listen to this song. And I want to ask you to picture something in your mind that you would picture yourself being carried to the table because you can't make it on your own. There's no way that we can get there, Jesus, without what you've done. There's no way that we can be right before God, that we can be welcomed into your presence, that we can eat at your table, that you can restore us apart from the gift of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this story of your great love. Thank you for Mephibosheth, that David, showing your beautiful love, welcomed him, restored him. God, we've been broken by things in life, we've been broken by sin. We ask, Lord, that you would heal our hearts. We accept your gift on the cross that wipes away our shame. And today, Jesus, we proclaim your death and your life. Your word says whenever we take communion, we proclaim your death until you come. Jesus, today we say to the world that you're real, that you're loving, that you're powerful, and that you wipe out our shame. And if today you have never allowed him to take over your life and to crucify your shame, to wipe it out, allow him to love you that much. Say yes to his sacrifice. Say yes to his invitation to the table. Come today and enjoy being with your king in his presence. And if somebody helped you make that decision, if somebody encouraged you, if you felt like somebody carried you because you couldn't get there, tell them that. Tell somebody else, I'm getting it right today and, and thank you. Thank you for pouring into me and for carrying me when I felt like I was too weak to walk. Thank you for your example and for bringing me into the king's presence. I want to be with him forever. Thank you. Tell them that before you get out of here. So after we hear this song, I want to invite everybody, just come, don't come all at once. Come when you're ready. Come up to the table. And you're going to dip a piece of bread in the juice. 
and you can stay up here. You can get on your knees and go somewhere. You can go back to your seat. But here's another assignment. If some of you feel like, I'm not worthy to be there. Who in the world am I? I can't be at the king's table. There's no way. I want to ask you to do this. Pull out a chair and sit with him. Spend time with your king. Say, Jesus, my heart and my life are yours. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming me to your table. Okay?